Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and good afternoon. This is Jeremy Evans with episode two on the Believe in Sports Law podcast with the Believe Network. Last week we discussed esports and some of the things that are going on in that space and uh, particularly with uh, some litigation between a esports gamer and his former uh, representation company. This week we are going to get into the five takeaways from the Fair Play Fair Pay to, to Play Act, which is a piece of legislation that is being considered in the California State Legislature. And it is a very significant piece of legislation in that it could potentially change the entire landscape of the NCAA and particularly with regard to student athletes. So if you recall in the past, the argument has sort of been that ultimately that student athletes are not getting the access that they deserve, uh, particularly with um, NCAA and particularly their member institutions that are making money off of licensing their images through merchandise or stuff like that. There's been a lot of litigation over this. Ed O'Bannon, the former UCLA basketball star and national champion, had uh, filed some litigation on this, and uh, and there's been some other cases as well. Uh, it's been a very litigious um, environment, and uh, the, the NCAA has received a lot of bad press over this. But ultimately, uh, this is something, this particular piece of legislation is something that, uh, again, could can change the entire landscape. And what it provides is, is, is if passed by the California legislature, the Fair, Fair Pay to Play Act will allow student athletes to, one, hire an agent or attorney for their business deals, two, guarantee the same rights given to Olympic athletes, three, would prohibit schools in California from taking away scholarships or eligibility from college athletes who use their image and notoriety to make money, and three would go into effect January 2023. So we're talking about a few years down the road here. But what is sort of interesting about this is that if it's passed, the NCAA has made a comment in that ultimately this law as drafted would go against their current rules and would potentially disallow California universities from and their student athletes from participating in NCAA sports. Now, it's interesting to know that there's a few important things about the MCAA that you might not know. And just to give this some, some context and some background, the NCAA is a nonprofit and its substantial funding comes from trademarks and television rights that it licenses and sells to broadcasters and merchandisers, uh, particularly um, for March Madness and the College World Series. The numbers on, the, on March Madness are pretty significant. We're talking about billions of dollars. However, that money is split up between the member institutions, so universities who make the tournament. Basketball teams are are actually not football, uh, but basketball teams because the college football playoff, which is another important part, is not a part of the NCAA. And that is a significant source of revenue that is not going to the NCAA. So that's something to keep in mind. Now, member institutions have budgets. And uh, those budgets cover many other items besides sports. Now, that being said, television rights 
uh, for uh, college sports has skyrocketed, skyrocketed in the last, you know, I'd say 20 years, and particularly within the last five years. Uh, and so, of course, those budgets for athletic departments have grown. And I think that's where in lies the uh, sort of publicity problem and, of course, the fact that a lot of these institutions were making money off these student athletes. The athletes were not seeing payments from that beyond receiving scholarships or receiving a platform to display their skills to eventually be drafted into the NFL or Major League Baseball or um, um, the National Basketball Association. So with that sort of background being given, there's five takeaways from the potential passions of this act, which some of them may uh, be surprising to you. The first is, is that what about student athletes in California and other states, particularly with regard to the NCAA's comment about the um, California universities not being able to participate in, uh, let's say, the college football playoff, uh, which is, again, separate, but it would be somewhat related that these are NCAA schools. The money is not there, but there's still some oversight there. Uh, the College World Series and, of course, um, the uh, you know March Madness tournament, and of course uh, really regular season play as well, because there'd be no difference between um, you know an athlete getting paid during the regular season versus uh, the playoffs or postseason. So we're, what are we talking about here? We're talking about schools like UCLA, USC, Stanford, Cal, Pepperdine, Cal State Fullerton, Cal State Long Beach, and SDSU, Fresno State. Some of these schools that are are generally competing. Um, for sort of sports prizes, uh, sports notoriety in, in uh, California. So unless the NCAA and California legislature come together to compromise, uh, the aforementioned uh, really is a, um, is a likely outcome, meaning that these student athletes at those schools, if they were getting paid in terms of using their own images, there would be a potential for them not being able to play, which kind of defeats the purpose. That being said, I think the NCAA would be wise to strongly consider this legislation. For one, it doesn't require the member institutions to pay anything. This is essentially student athletes being able to go out and profit off of their images uh, in whatever deals that they broker. So that's a really important concept and that's something that's different than what's been proposed uh, in the past. And one of the concerns that I've had is that the NCAA, again, as, as I mentioned before, is a nonprofit entity. They're not bringing in tons of dollars, and the money that they are bringing in is, is being distributed to a lot of these member institutions. And these member institutions have a lot bigger budgets than just um, athletics. You know, more than 95% of the, the students who are in school are not student athletes. Uh, they're, they're just going to school there. Uh, so it's something to keep in mind as this is something that I think is significant and based on fair market value and that sort of thing. So which brings up the next point, which is point two as one of the second major takeaway from the Fair Pay to Play Act. The next is what about minor league player development? You notice that the two major concerns, two major sports have always been in the um, for football, college football, and college basketball. And that's because for the longest time, both of those sports did not have minor league development systems. You know, if you're a high school uh, baseball player, at 17 years old, you can decide to go pro. And there's nothing stopping you from going and getting drafted or going to play overseas or whatever it may be. 
there is currently rules which the um, NFL are, and um, the NBA are thinking about getting rid of down the road that would sort of get rid of this one-and-done thing or you can't uh, get into the NFL if you, if you start college and then you have to play for three years, this sort of thing. Uh, so they're starting to get rid of that, which is good. I think that's progress. I think the next thing is for the NFL to develop a minor league system. The NBA does have the G League uh, renamed. It used to be the D League. Now it's the G League named uh, after the league sponsor, Gatorade. But ultimately, um, those two uh, those avenues, I think, allow for more opportunities and allow student-athletes to make better financial decisions. Go to school, go pro, and not be forced to go through a system to be drafted into something else. So uh, giving these folks, um, I think, choices are important. So the NFL has not talked about developing a minor league system. Of course, um, the Alliance Football League, which uh, folded earlier this year, was a potential for that. The XFL is coming out next spring 2020. And you also have the Pac-Pro Football League uh, here in California that should be uh, coming out around the same time. So there is some options. We'll see how those develop. The next and third takeaway is does the Fair Play, Fair Pay to Play Act go far enough? far enough or too far. Now, anybody who knows anything about California, you know, in terms of the politics here, there's always the joke about uh, California being uh, the left coast or uh, this sort of thing. And, and there is some truth to that. Uh, and surprisingly, though, in a state that uh, constantly sort of pushes the envelope in terms of a, really a one-party dominated legislature, this act is, is pretty fair and, and actually uh, very business savvy. Uh, particularly with the point that, again, the NCAA and its member institutions and conferences, the Pac-12, which would be affected by this act, or at least some of the schools in there, are not required to pay. They're only allowing student-athletes to profit from their image based on market value, uh, and I think is really an engaging and a fair deal. Uh, the fourth point, fourth takeaway, is uh, this idea that, you know, look, we've been talking about money, but I think representation is more significant. What do I mean by that? For the longest time, there was these sort of rules, unwritten and official, that ultimately a student athlete could not sign a contract and could not accept anything of value. Now, of course, this created a huge black market, a huge gray market of exchanging gifts and services uh, for the promise of later on down the road taking a percentage of a contract in a professional sport or something like that. How many stories we've heard about this over the years and member institutions getting in trouble. This law, if passed, would essentially take away that the need for the black or the gray market because these student-athletes would be able to pursue their own agents and attorneys and negotiate deals. Uh, the example that I sort of would give is imagine a horse without a jockey or a race car driver without a, uh, a race car without a driver or a pit crew and a, and a crew chief. You know, you need somebody there helping and guiding uh, the student-athlete, just like all of us need good advice and hopefully those will open up into some opportunities for these students. The last and final takeaway from this is what is amateur go amateurism going forward in light of the Fair Pay to Play Act and if it's passed? Well, there's often the comment that as California goes, so goes the nation, uh, particularly with regard to politics, but I think in business as well, we've sort of seen some of that happen. I do think that this is something that potentially, I think it allows 
amateurs, student athletes, to keep their status by not getting paid by the institutions. I think that's an important point. I think the fact they're allowed that they're allowed to go out and pursue their own deals based on a fair market value is something that is, for lack of a better word, fair. And I think it's something that uh, should be highlighted and celebrated. And allowing these folks to really get in and get a taste for the real world and getting a taste for how it is working with agents and how it is working with attorneys. I think the Olympic model, the Olympians model, is something that has worked. And I think it's something that uh, will work well here with student athletes and uh, NCAA member institutions. So to recap, what we're really talking about here is uh, the five takeaways uh, from the Fair Pay to Play Act in California. The first was what this does for student athletes in California and other states and sort of how this affects um, their eligibility with regard to playing in sports. I think the NCAA would be wise to find a way to compromise here and really just to accept the act for what it is. It's not requiring them or their member institutions to pay the universities. So I think this is uh, something that's positive. It's not based on some uh, court you know, regulated formula. It's not based on you know, some sort of academic formula. Uh, it's not based on everybody gets paid. It's based on if you're a star athlete and you have value in the marketplace, you should get paid. And that should not be paid by the member institutions, but paid by whatever sponsor or endorsement or brand partnership has developed. The second is looking at potentially minor league player development with regard to the NFL. The other major sports already have it, soccer, baseball, basketball, um, and hockey all have it, especially with hockey, soccer, and baseball. Uh, basketball starting to move along a little bit here, especially with international development and the G League. Uh, the next is sort of looking at whether the fair, fair pay to play act goes too far or not far enough. I think it's just about right. I think, um, I think they hit the nail on the head on this one. I think it's a fair and engaging deal uh, that's based on market value. Uh, money is important, but representation is more significant. I think the fact that these folks can now have proper representation and not be forced to go through a, uh, let's say, school-approved financial advisor or whatever it may be, I think it removes the need for a black or gray market for services. And I think potentially they could add some teeth to it, uh, to this legislation or following legislation that would make um, the violations of sort of um, getting into black or gray market services and gifts uh, far more extensive uh, based on the fact that they're allowing student athletes to get paid. And then the last piece is sort of what does this mean for amateurism going forward? I think ultimately this sets the stage um, for amateurs to keep their status, allow them to get some little, little bit of money, a little bit of walking around money depending on how powerful the uh, the uh, athlete's image is, and um, I think it sort of shields the member institutions from having to pay additional funds uh, to athletes and really to get into a problem of uh, unfairness because I don't think the schools would be able to tell you know what athletes are you know should get paid or shouldn't and what they should uh, that you know that sort of thing I think this allows the market to sort of set the price so that's uh, that's all for the show this week. I uh, hope that uh, you've enjoyed it, and uh, we'll be back next week with Episode 3. Thank you so much.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.